You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Greetings, everyone. This is another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And as soon as I get my microphone positioned here, I will tell you I'm Doug Thorpe, your host. Today, we're going to visit with an entrepreneur who's done several things in his adult life uh, toward the business goals that he's established. And he's got a great story now of a new enterprise that he's got up and running. His name is Brandon Barnum. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on board. And uh, for those of you who will eventually be seeing us on video, he's got a tag in his window here that says CEO of HOA.com. Let's just dive right in and tell us what HOA.com is all about. Well, I'll tell you what, we're on a mission to connect communities in a meaningful way. Uh, when people hear HOA, they naturally think about homeowner associations, and that's definitely a world that we want to re-engineer. Most people don't love their HOAs, even though 53% of American homeowners live in an HOA. So we want to get people to connect in a meaningful way, and we connect homeowners with professionals they can trust. We're, we're sort of building a next door meets Angie's List mobile app and, and a referral network for professionals who serve homeowners. That's awesome. And you're right. For people who have elected to move out of the, uh, the high density uh, multifamily type arrangements and, and find a single family residence of their own, those properties are inevitably part of HOAs. And um, for those of you that might not be familiar with the HOA concept, that stands for Homeowners Association. Some places they call them Property Owners Association. I happen to live in a POA. It's potato, potato. It's fundamentally the same thing. Yeah. As a group of owners, we elect a board, and the board kind of makes decisions on our collective behalf and uh, does any number of things. But I think what's famous mostly for HOAs is they enforce deed restrictions. So if people start um, putting their cars up on cinder blocks, that usually is a distraction and from, from the look of the neighborhood. So the HOA will intervene and try to deal with those sorts of things. But to your point, all of that said, HOA, POA often has a, a more negative connotation than a positive one. So by, by building this community, and, and I like that word a lot, you're kind of expanding the scope of, of what it's all about, right? Oh, big time. You know, there's a lot of good that the HOAs or POAs, for that matter, do to serve their communities. And they're usually pretty good about being the the community police, right, to your point, and making sure the cars aren't on, on blocks, there aren't, you know, big campers or boats out if that's not allowed by the community. But where they miss the boat is really serving the community. And so one of the things that we do is community impact campaigns and events. And we had one here in Phoenix, Arizona, just the Sunday before last. And it was so cool, Doug, because we had about 50 neighbors that had come out for this community connection event. And we were grilling burgers and dogs on the, the grill. And we had kids that were playing basketball, kids that were playing cornhole. We even had a kickball tournament. And the coolest part about it is at one point I looked around 
And we had kids, you know, as young as four and adults as old as 65 out there. And not one single person was on their cell phone. Everybody was talking and having fun and, you know, laughing and playing. And it was kind of a throwback to years gone by. And that's what we want to see. We want to see people connect in a meaningful way and have a pride of ownership in their community where they really know their neighbors and they feel good about where they live. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I think that sense of community is really um, a lost art in, in a lot of ways. And I'm quickly reminded of uh, in, in my neighborhood where I live, we have had a, a long 40 plus year tradition of really going all out at Christmas time with lights and displays. And um, it, it's quite a, it's a regional phenomenon. And People, you know, trek in from very far away to take the tours and see our lights and our displays. And for several year now, years now, my street is banded together. I live on a longer extended cul-de-sac. There's actually 14 of us, uh, 14 homesteads on this loop that we're on. And we have, at Christmas, we turn ourselves into what we call Candy Cane Lane. Nice. And um, we have decorated with large, oversized, six-foot candy cane lighted poles to uh, go up and down the street. And then um, we have a live display with Santa and elves every night during the season. And for the last several years, we have handed out 17,000 candy canes. Wow. Per, per season, not just per collectively, year. per yeah. year. Yeah. Per year, we started out at about eleven thousand. Quickly went up to fourteen the next year, and last year it was seventeen thousand. So, I love it. Um, it's uh, but my point in all that is, it it, it takes a, a community effort to pull that off, and we as a street start getting together about June, and we start having planning meetings, and we talk about you know any updates or changes we want to make in the theme, any particulars we want to adjust about the programming and it it really does become but i i want to get back to your point of your model it's interesting because of our little cluster of community and we've done this you know on our own we've also extended the reach we now have some vendors who help with uh, setting up lights and all that. And it, it was that word of mouth, you know, one homeowner knew a, a particular guy who did that as a side business. And this past year, he and his crew basically helped every house on our street with exterior lights, you know, eave trim and uh, tree wrapping and that sort of thing. So it was finding that service provider that could help achieve everything that we were looking to do is a big deal and it's all totally referral based. So uh, where, where did you get the idea for your version of HOA? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been building tech platforms. This is my ninth platform. My last business was called refer.com. We built that to 5 million members, including 250,000 realtors. 
but it was B2B and B2C. And when we exited that in 2019, I really set out to create a referral network for professionals who serve homeowners and really concentrate on homeowners, which is you know the American dream, the heartbeat of America. And when you look at the industries of professionals who serve homeowners, you're talking about realtors, mortgage lenders, insurance agents, financial planners, painters, plumbers, all the blue collar guys that take care of our homes, right? So that we can live the lives we enjoy. And we set out, we said, you know what? No one's really addressing this need. So we created this company as the Homeowner Alliance, com That was actually our original domain. And we realized we couldn't really scale where we wanted to be without a better domain. So we went out and got HOA.com. But it all started, I, I did 12 years in the mortgage industry. So it's a world I know well. And what we recognize is there's this whole ecosystem of professionals who serve homeowners. And most of them are like the lone ranger or the lone wolf. They're out there building their business by themselves. What we do is we help them come together, create formalized referral partnerships, and then cross-promote and cross-refer each other so that they're building their businesses together. And having an independent platform like that, I, I think is very important. And you whispered some magic words there, being a, a mortgage lender banker for a while. Um, I know you well know, as do I, the um, some of the rules that govern lending practices. Um, mortgage lenders are actually hamstrung in many ways on having affiliate referral relationships. There's some very specific federal rules about that and how that needs to be structured and disclosed and for good reason, but it's, one might argue it's a little bit over-regulated for what really is happening. And, um, you know, you, we, what it does, it eliminates a very important channel that a consumer could enjoy. If you move into a new neighborhood, what do you know about the surroundings? You meet your realtor and you meet your your mortgage person to help finance your house, but you don't know anything else. You don't know who the service vendors are, the, the good, credible providers in the community. You start from scratch trying to figure out who that is and That's right. potentially waste a lot of time and money with very bad outcomes if you don't have that credible referral opportunity. Yeah, you're so right about that, Doug. My wife and I moved from Portland, Oregon to Phoenix, Arizona about nine years ago. And when we moved, we didn't know a soul. We just knew we wanted to get out of the rain and into the sunshine. And so we moved from the rainforest to the desert. But when we moved here, we didn't know anybody for any of these services. So we started asking around and there really was no great resource where we could go to one place and find all the trusted service professionals. Yeah, we went to Angie, and this is before really Thumbtack was big, um, but we didn't love that user experience, right? We felt like we were getting pitched and sold to, and that people, when we would do a, a form online, that we would get bombasted with different people trying to win our business. And so we just said, there's gotta be a better way. And it all comes down to who people know, like, and trust. And, you know, it shouldn't be Angie's list. It should be Doug's list. I should, if you're my neighbor, I should be able to go on and see who the professionals that you recommend are, 
right? Because you might be my next door neighbor. And in the neighborhood, there might be, you mentioned 16 on your block. Maybe there's 160 in your community. I should be able to, if I'm looking for a plumber, I should be able to look and see how many of those homeowners have recommended the local plumber and who's most trusted among the neighbors. And so that's part of what we're building here at HOA.com. And I think what a lot of people have, have deferred to or relegated to is, uh, I know in my own community, again, reflecting on that, we have a very active Facebook group. Uh, we're, we're a large community and we have, um, I don't know, 1,700, 1,800 members on this Facebook group. And that's it lights up every day with somebody saying, I'm in search of a plumber or painter or repair guy, fence guy, whatever. Right. Right. And, you know, and it blows up, you know, people start dumping their names on the board and, you know, it's pretty easy, pretty quickly to see somebody emerge as the front runner that out of 30 responses, some one plumber, one electrician, one painter gets, you know, the, the bulk of the referral. And as mentioned, in other words, mentioned most often among the referral network. So you right. figure, well, that's probably a credible guy and that's who I ought to start with. Yeah, and it's a great way to go. But, you know, isn't it interesting, like for you, Doug, do you have one place where you have all of your trusted home service pros cataloged in one easy to locate location? No, actually, I don't. Yeah, nobody does. And that's one of the things that we're out to solve, right? Right. In, in the mobile app that we're building, you'll just have all your trusted pros in one location. And if you're looking for somebody, you'll be able to see who the neighborhood recommends. And you're absolutely right. Typically that's done on Facebook, but a lot of people are leaving Facebook or have been kicked off Facebook or just don't want to be on Facebook. So we want to make it really all about the neighborhood and connecting communities, which is what our tagline is. Well, Brandon, I want to shift gears. You've mentioned this yeah. is your ninth venture like this. Um, talk to us more with the sort of the mantle of being an entrepreneur. And my first question is, where did that start for you? Yeah, uh, well, great question. You know, it's interesting. I've written the book Raving Referrals, and I kind of tracked back what was my first referral experience. And I realized that when I was 14 years old, I bought into those Columbia House records and tapes. Remember those? <laughs> oh, we yeah. Got 13 tapes for one penny, plus shipping and handling, of course. And, you know, I was a pretty entrepreneurial kid, and I didn't realize it. But they said, hey, for everybody that you refer to us, you're going to get four free cassette tape tapes. And so I did that 12 times over. So I had 48 free cassette tapes that I got back in the day. And I hadn't really thought about that until I went to write the book. And I realized that was kind of where it started. I mean, I was always entrepreneurial, but it wasn't until I was out of college and I was in my first job and I got custody of my son. And I, I was a single dad at the age of 24. I had full custody of my two-year-old son. And I was working as a marketing director for a, for a law firm after college. And all of a sudden I had to pay daycare on top of my mortgage. I'd already bought a house at 24, but I couldn't afford both. And th the way I found out was that the mortgage company sent me my check back with three little words or letters on it said NSF. And some of your listeners are too young to know what a check is, let alone NSF, but it meant insufficient funds. It means my check bounce didn't clear. So I had to do something different. And I got into the mortgage business and I 
fortunately found somebody to teach me the art and the science of raving referrals. And in 18 months, I went from making 20,000 a year to 200,000 a year. And in that process, I created my first online website. And like I say, that, that was my first of nine. So it really all started from that need of having to feed another human being and taking care of somebody else. And I had to figure it out. And so that's how I got started. Congratulations on, on that journey and, and, and making it through there. Were all nine of your ventures tech-based? Well, I've built nine online platforms. So okay. yeah, those are all technology-based and I've just had a hankering from it for it. Um, when I was back in college, I had one professor that really made an impact on me. His name was Jack Taylor. And I had an entrepreneurial class. It was called entrepreneurship. And he said, you got to look at the world through new eyes. You got to see what the world needs, where it's going and what needs to happen and then make that happen. And when you do that, you add value and that's where you make money and make a difference. So that, that was kind of the inspiration for me. I kind of grew up looking at things through that lens and from there, I saw opportunity. I mean, I, I got in the mortgage business back in 1997. And back then, only half of the national real estate firms had listings online. You couldn't sit in your boxer shorts on a Sunday and shop for homes. And so I said, this is silly. That's where we're going. So I created an online home buyer's guide, kind of the early Zillow back in 1997, 1998. And, and I used that to grow my mortgage business. Wow. Well, great, great move. And, uh, you know, I, I too share some DNA in the mortgage finance space and I'm, I'm, I'm flashing back to 97, 98. And I, I was actually still with the Chase organization back then. And, hmm. um, we were, we were working through ways to propagate mortgage lending. And, um, of course, Chase had a huge mortgage operation at the time. And, um, yeah, there were a lot of evolution there on the technology front, many, many changes. And probably many of our listeners don't even realize what it used to be like doing the way things were done once upon a time. But, yeah, things have changed. They're a whole lot easier, faster now. Things have definitely changed that way. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. With each iteration of different focus and target areas, what are some of the lessons you think you learned along the way? Yeah, great question, Doug. I think there's several. One thing that I teach is the first is the worst, right? Don't be afraid to fail where you stop yourself from getting in the game. You know, there's a concept in technology we call MVP, minimum viable product, right? And you've got to have something that you push out into the marketplace and you start to get feedback. So, you know, they say perfect is the enemy of good. And if you try and perfect something, you never get anything out there. So, you know, don't be afraid to fail, take action. And the reason I like to teach that the first is the worst is gives you the grace to go ahead and try something. And the first time that you do anything is going to be the worst you're ever going to be because you're going to learn from it. You're going to get better. You're going to find better ways to do it than the first time. But if you, if you never start, then you'll never finish. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I one heard, of the I've learned. I heard somebody describe that phenomenon another way. They said, they call it the first pancake. If, if, if you've ever woke, woken up on a weekend and you're hungry for pancakes and you stumble in the kitchen, mix up a batch, fire up the griddle, and your first pancake is never good. It's it's always, <laughs> there's something about the, the dynamic of, I, I don't know whether it's the, 
griddle's not hot enough or ready enough or whatever. But um, his point was, you got to pour that first pancake. You That's right. can't get to the second one if you don't pour the first one. So you have to embrace that idea of your first effort's not going to be good. You got to get in the game. You got to take action. And it really comes down to action. You know, the people that I see that are creating the biggest results are the ones that are taking the most action, but then also the people that work through collaboration, right? So many people are just focused on living in their own world that they don't see through the lens of others. And when you partner with other people, whether it's businesses, influencers, uh, business owners that are serving your perfect prospects already and you add value to them and figure out how can I make a difference in their world where we can grow our businesses together? That's what's been the most successful for me. Um, I wish I was at liberty to say some of the brands that we're in talks with right now, because we're building a national platform and we've got some national companies that we're negotiating national advertising deals with. And, you know, the next time you and I talk, I'll probably be at liberty to say, but you partner with companies and, and influencers that are out there serving. They already have your perfect prospect. Figure out how you can add value to them. How can you make their world better? How can you make a difference and solve the problems for them and for the clients they serve? And when you do that, you accelerate your success. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. I'm a big advocate of trying to focus on understanding the value that you're creating. There mm. are so many startups that I'm aware of and, and well-meaning entrepreneurs, they're absolutely convinced they've got a good idea and, mm -hmm. and perhaps they really do, but the exact way that they've got it thought about or positioned is is the proverbial solution looking for a problem <laughs> and um, if if you never find the problem that your solution solves you you don't have a business you're you're gonna spend a lot of time in daylight trying to make it work and and you know put the square peg in the round hole and i have on several occasions speaking back to mortgage i have been unashamed to tell the story that there was a chapter in my life, one of the last companies I founded and ran and ran reasonably successful, successfully up until 2008 when the big crash happened, was a service company that was supporting a segment of the mortgage business. But when it was all said and done and the crash was over, there were about five of us doing what we were doing nationally and we all over a period of time had a chance to get together and we realized that really truthfully collectively what we were trying to push and propagate was a solution for a problem that didn't exist oh interesting yeah <laughs> and, and none of us were really crushing it you know we we yeah. hadn't we hadn't revolutionized or disrupted anything yeah. we, we were just spending a lot of time and energy with a service that 
you know, it, it delivered on what we promised people it would, but it, it was not something that the industry was just clamoring to have. So, uh, through another series of leapfrog events, what we were offering pretty well went by the wayside and I'm not aware of anybody anywhere in the country that's trying to do that now. And so proven point, you know, and again, I go back to the basic, at least the learning I took away, I needed to do a lot more research on whether or not my target clients really wanted the service we were building. I think that's a valuable lesson, right? Because if there's no pain point there, then you're not going to tap into a market that's just desiring that solution that you're providing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we recognize that people don't like their HOA. We believe there's a better way to HOA. We're on a, a mission to go create it. I was on earlier with somebody in the crypto space because we believe that homeowners associations like the meetings should all be open forum like quite frankly they should be on zoom like this they should be recorded transcribed available for every single member of the community all the voting should be blockchain based all of the money that is spent should be blockchain based you should be able to see every penny every day and understand the bidding process because a lot of times when it comes to some of these bidding uh jobs of, of different services and resources that the homeowner association is spending the money on behalf of the community sometimes that money is going to their neighbor their brother their best friend their you know cousin and so you know they're they should be getting three bids on everything every kind of service that they're offering and that should be transparent for everyone to see but yeah. you know if, if people don't realize there's a problem they don't know that they needed a better solution yeah are you uh, envisioning, are you doing anything with the uh, mud and pud aspects, the utility districts that usually parallel these things? Yeah, we really step in when the when the, the association, the neighborhood has already been built. Normally the association gets created by the developer. And so the, the builder and the developer typically will deal with that in advance. Right. Uh, so we get involved right. after the fact. Uh, but it's definitely something we're aware of, and it's on our radar. Well, and, and what I'm speaking of, for those who may not be familiar with it, because if you're in a subdivision that's in a city proper, you're usually on so-called city utilities. But a little bit farther out from the center of large metropolitan areas, the communities stand up with uh, public utility districts or municipal utility districts and, in you know, uh, well, and I acknowledge part of this is I'm broadcasting from Texas and it, there's a Texas law aspect about this and how those work. But my point is it, it is a, it is a, a separate service. And of course money is paid to them as the utility provider and they typically have their own boards and their own governance. So your point about public meeting and all that, it, it can quickly become a real flashpoint because, you know, if you're paying a millage rate on your property value to this utility district and all of a sudden the water lines break down, you, you kind of scratching your head going, hey, where's the money to fix these things? That's right. And that's it, right? Where is the money? And, and that should be fully transparent for everyone to see at all times. Yeah, I like I like that. 
Well, back to the basics here on being an entrepreneur, starting a great venture. Do you have a, a short list of things that you sort of mentor and coach people that are raise their hand and say, I think I want to start a business? What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, it always starts with mission, vision, and and values, right? And and we teach that you really need to value people's values. Uh, one of the kind of magic tricks that I learned is, and you see it in this book up here called Why They Buy. Let me just get the whole title there, Why They yep. Buy. Uh, but it's a personality system. You know, some people have used DISC or MBTI, Myers-Briggs. There's a lot of different personality systems. We use what's called bank code because you can use it in the real world. I'm going to an event at a bank here uh, just in a, as soon as we get off this presentation and uh, I'll take these cards with me and these cards will allow me to hand them to somebody and, and really quickly understand what they care about, right? Because basically it does the same thing that a disc assessment does, but in 60 seconds after I hand this to somebody, and it really is a magic trick, they'll sort the cards in order of what's most like them to least like them. They'll hand them back to me, and then I'll spend the next 60 seconds telling me who they just told me they are. And in that two minutes, it allows me to build more rapport than any other thing I've seen. But more importantly, I know who they are. Like they've just told me what they care about, how they make decisions, what they value most. And now I can communicate in a way and present information in a way that connects quickly and that gives them the information that they need to make wise and informed decisions. I love it. And it's the classic, if I'm hearing you right, it's the classic one size does not fit all. Correct. If, if, if you... Uh, go to market with this solution that you've created, whether it's a, a tangible good or a service, and you're expecting to sell it one way all the time, the reality is your your market is not out there. Everybody's different and everybody looks at the world differently. They They come from a different reference point. And you're right, a lot of the personality assessment tools they it'll give you a minimum of four uh, combinations of ki the kind of personality and drivers and 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 views on value that people are going to have you know some people are, are uh, as a quick example some people are going to look for the uh, sort of the emotional value of whatever you're doing and others are going to look for just hard tangible value and and, you know, by emotional value, it might mean, does your thing save the planet? You know, I'm that's my focus. I'm worried about right. green space and green peace and all that. And But others are going to say, no, I just need to save a dollar the next time I do something. So does your thing help me save money? You know, whatever. That's You just nailed it. That's exactly right, Doug. People care about different things. Instead of providing your service and product, in the same way every time. You really should be customizing your conversations based on what your prospect or customer really cares about, right? So uh, to your point, if savings is their number one, then that's what you need to focus on. If they care about the impact or the income or the influence, focus on what they care about and help them achieve what they want. They don't care about what you care about. They care about what they care about. Yeah. 
And I know there's an acronym in the sales training world that uh, it, it's pronounced WIFM. At least that's what that's I've it. seen it. W I I F M. What's in it for me? That's right. And that's what your prospect is bringing to you. Yeah, and it's the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. We everybody knows the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? But that's not really what it is. It's the platinum rule. Do unto others as they'd have done unto them. What? How do they want it? Not how do you want it? It's not about you. It's all about them. And, yeah. You know, I think we're really getting into that place. I love some aspects of where we're going in society because. What we talk about is we marketing, right? Turn the me upside down and you've got we. And when we market it, one of my mentors is Mark Victor Hansen, Chicken Soup for the Soul. He taught me a long time ago, one plus one equals 11. When we come together and we work together and we collaborate, we cross promote and, and we really build our businesses together, it's a leverage factor that you can't get by yourself. Yeah, I love that. So very true. And I, I was reading some material the other day, and I was reminded of a couple of things. And, and I know where it started for me. There was a clip that was um, just celebrated its 20th year this month. And um, it was a clip of none other than Elon Musk standing outside of the first SpaceX building. Hmm. And they were interviewing him, and somebody said, what's your name? And he goes, Elon Musk, E-L-O-N-M-U-S-K. Yeah. And, and it's, seeing that clip, it's almost inconceivable now that nobody knows the face and name of Elon Musk. I, I mean, love him or hate him. You know, sure, uh, sure. It's almost inconceivable. But the point is, the other thing that got my attention, that was 20 years ago with this creation of SpaceX, yet it feels like SpaceX is some kind of overnight phenomenon, you know, that's in our, now our, our perhaps national scope and consciousness, but he's been, he and his team have been working on that for 20 years now, 20 plus years to make that happen. So the overnight success that you may think somebody else is having, you need to, do some research and you're probably going to find it's been a much longer journey to get to where they might be today. Well, Doug, it's those 10,000 hours to mastery, right? Somebody doesn't become a master overnight. You've got to go learn 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb, right? You've got to go figure out how things really work. And, and over time you gain mastery, but you're absolutely right. I don't know many overnight successes in my travels. I know a lot of people that have worked for a long time to gain the skills, the understanding and the, the relationships that unlock those keys to success. Absolutely. Well, Brandon, this has been great. I really appreciate you sitting in and sharing with us. Uh, tell everybody how to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Well, yeah, it's real easy. BrandonBarnum.com. That's my personal site. It's got all kinds of options as far as what I'm doing and up to in the world. My LinkedIn profile, uh, you can schedule a, a call with me there. Uh, go check out HOA.com. If you're interested in, in knowing more about this personality code system, you can go to knowyourcode.us 
and uh, you'll sort the cards in about 60 seconds and it'll send you a report so you know who you are. And I think that's a really important tool. I call it a magic trick because when I hand the cards to somebody, I say, you want to see a magic trick? Invariably, the answer is yes. And they're fascinated afterwards and grateful for it. So yeah, brandonbarnum.com. That's the easiest way to find me and, and links to my LinkedIn and everything else I'm doing. I, I want to make a quick uh, plug here. So this is for the benefit of those of you that are listening on streaming services and don't have the video. Uh, what Brandon has showed us, he's got a, a four-part card deck. It uh, looks like, as best I can tell, red, yellow, blue, and green. Yeah, it is. It, is. It, it stands for bank, which is blueprint, uh -huh. action, okay. nurturing, and knowledge. So those are the four four codes. Uh, so yeah, they're just four little cards I carry with me in my back pocket. And when I meet somebody new, I hand them the cards and ask them to sort them and it helps me know them better. And I say it's like instant empathy because instantly I understand how they make decisions. Very good. Very powerful. And uh, something that folks listening here may want to jump in on and, and get that. But uh so we'll have all of those links and that information in the show notes and in the uh, description on the video. So please feel free to hop over there and check out Brandon. And again, one last time, Brandon, thanks for sitting in. Oh, it's my pleasure, Doug. Thanks for having me. All right. <clears throat> well, with that, folks, we're going to wrap this up. I do want to thank everybody for listening in. And as I've uh, alluded to, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there and subscribe. Uh, more importantly for me, uh, this is very self-aggrandizing, but uh, leave us a comment. Let me know how we're doing, what we're doing. If you've got some recommendations and ideas, please uh, jump in. All of your comments are carefully monitored, and uh, you will get a response from us. So look forward to hearing from you. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, have a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.